And we're live on Game Changers with me, Vicki Abelson, and my guest today is Eddie Martinez. Eddie, Eddie. Hey, Vicki. <laughs> I'm so happy to meet you. And oh, it's, uh, it's great to be here, really. You know, Carmine, uh, as soon as he did the show, he said, oh, you, you, you've got you've got to you've got to have Eddie on. And I was like, yeah, OK, I can do that. <laughs> and uh, he's just, my brother. You guys go way back. Um, yeah. We're going we're gonna to talk about how that started. I'm trying to take our show public so people can see us. There we go. Mm -hmm. um, cool. You met Carmine, I know, back in, in LaBelle, correct? Yeah, um, he was there when I auditioned. And uh, Can you tell that story? I was just listening oh, to you my... tell the story oh, of your it's audition. A crazy <laughs> story. I had, at that time, I had one guitar, and it was an old Stratocaster, and, and it was the first time I was getting a fret job. So I had no guitar, uh, and, oh. but I, I heard about this audition. I think it was one of the last days of auditioning. So right. I, uh, I called and I made an appointment because you had to do, you had to call the, the tour manager or the manager, Vicki Wickham was the manager. And uh, how, so how I, did you know about the, um, how did you know about the audition? Uh, I think, I think somebody told me Either okay. that, or I think I saw something in the Village Voice. I think there may have been a post in the Village Voice about it. And uh, I called mm -hmm. and I went down. And um, so I, I'm waiting for this guitar and Woody Pfeiffer was doing my frets. He's an old legendary New York luthier. And uh, so I uh, went downtown and I picked up the guitar and got in a checker cab. I still remember checker, checker cab took me cab. to- yeah, too. I think it was Carol's studio or Bill's mm -hmm. studio, I think it was. And uh, and it was a cattle call. I walked in and there were just tons of guitarists all over the place. And I think it was one of the last people to audition. Wow. And I went in and I plugged in this guitar that I hadn't played. And when you get a fret job, at least mm -hmm. in those days, I'd never experienced a guitar that had the frets changed. Right. And uh, so I, I go in and it's like I'm literally playing a different guitar. Oh. You know, because it really felt physically different. But um, I just plugged in, dimed the amplifier, turned it to 10. And, uh, <laughs> and then the rest is, th then they asked me back. They asked well, me back. It was between uh -huh. me and a couple of other guys. And I was the last man standing. So um, I, I, I got the gig. I was, I was thrilled about that. Wow. Um, and that gig lasted a while for you, yeah? Well, you know, uh, about a year and a half, which is, you know, in gig terms, that, you know, that's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, uh, let's see, from August to, August of 75 to December of 76, uh, the gig lasted. So that was and it. Then, and then it led to Nona Hedrix, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, they disbanded. They, you know, the group broke up and, and uh, Nona asked me if she, you know, if I wanted to play in her band and she was going in more of a rock thing, which was really where, where my head was at and where Carmine's head was at. And Patty went more in the R&B kind of, uh, you know, uh, diva thing, you know, which was so, that's her, that's her strength right there. So it right. made all the sense in the world, but uh, great working with Nona. She's a dear friend to this day. And uh, boy, she's an amazing woman, really a multimedia, you know, and Tyler. she was sort of the first, uh, was she not a first uh, woman of color, uh, rock composers? Wasn't she cutting edge? 
she was cutting edge, mm -hmm. you know, uh, cutting edge, uh, you know, uh, in terms of what she was doing. She was defiant. Uh, I, I have such <laughs> respect and admiration for her uh, relative to what she wanted to do. She wanted to rock out. And and she did. And we made a really we, we made a really good record for the time. It was really a strong record. It was song orientated, but it was mm -hmm. rocking. And uh, yeah, you have been memories. rock. You have been rocking. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that because Hendrix and Beck are my two, and and I know that you come from that school too. And and uh, I've I've been listening to you all day and hearing about how. The, oh my God! And you have played oh. on like every iconic record that came out of the time, which is crazy. But I want to go back and and find out where you started. But before we even talk about your background. Mm -hmm. What's what's it been like for you with COVID going on? Like, what were you doing when I say when the lights went out? Where were you at when the the pandemic hit? What was your life like? Well, uh, wow, uh, my my life was like I just gone February of uh, twenty. I went mm -hmm. to to New York right before everything blew up. You know, right. Um, I, I had had gone to a memorial service for a dear friend of mine, a guitarist by the name of Ronnie Drake, who had passed away. And he had, he had played with Known and just uh, tons of other people as well, a brilliant mm -hmm. guitarist. And we kind of started out together. And I just really had to go to New York to pay my respects to my, my friend. Um, and uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, coming back, it was when everything blew up, Nikki. Everything just kind of like, everything blew up. Wait, so wait, now, sit, now coming back, how the hell did you end up in Oregon? How how did that happen? <laughs> oh gosh! Well, all of my immediate family had moved out here. All of my immediate family was here because um, because my brother started a business that was a really big business, and he wanted to have some of his family here uh -huh. helping him out with the business. And uh, I came out, and I had just gone through a, a divorce, and uh, really, I was just. I just had to get out of Dodge. It was one of mm -hmm. those things. Mm -hmm. And um, how long ago was that that you ended up in Oregon? Uh, twenty years. Next month, I can't believe wow. I've been out of New York for twenty years. Wow. Okay, yeah. so you've yeah. done all this playing and everything, living based in Oregon. Uh, based in Oregon, but most most of it in, while I was in in New York, and you know, and uh, I, I still do recording sessions and things like that. But uh, the whole business has changed so dramatically that you don't have to be in a major. Do Major you have a studio? Center. I see. I see the records. I see the platinum records behind you. Do you have a studio oh, in your in your home? No, not yet. I'm building an ADU in the backyard, which may be an eventual studio, um, and that's that's almost done. And and just busy here with uh, you know uh, getting all that stuff together. But I, I definitely want to have a virtual studio where I so can do what I do. So how have you done it? From how have you done it? Oh, just the studios here are all available. I have engineers and, you know, people send me files. I send them to the engineer and we just download them. And I put my guitars on and send the files back and send an invoice. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, okay. So let's go back. So, so, so 20, February, 2020, you're in New York yeah. for a memorial. Yes. And I come back and I was just about to start working on, um, I had these tapes that I cut back in 96 wow. and with a, with a dear friend of mine, Jason Corsaro, who is a, a great iconic, you know, iconoclastic engineer. He just like shattered traditions and he was a real trailblazer and uh, he had passed away and he was a dear friend of mine. And I'd cut some tracks that he had recorded back in 96 
And when I went back to the GM, it's, that's another memorial. I went back to New York. I went back to, wow. to New York for the memorial, mm-hmm. and his his family had found the the multi tracks in his basement, and they gave them they gave them back to me, and I brought them back, and I've already converted them down into Pro Tool sessions, and I'm about to, I was up, I was just about to kind of redo it and kind of polish it up and get it ready, and then COVID hit, and everything shut down, and just. It's just like a weird kind of inverted vortex or, you know, whatever you want to call it. It was just, it's just been weird. And, uh, and this so year's it, kind of, what's pardon? it been like for you? What's it been like for you in Oregon during COVID? Uh, well, you know, I think much better than most, albeit, you know, you're seeing, you know, Portland burning every night over the last mm-hmm. you know couple of years. And fortunately I, I don't live downtown or in the area where, where that uh, has been taking place. Uh, so where I live, it's, you know, quite bucolic and it's just beautiful. It's, you know, it's kind of in the burbs, but a lot of trees. There's a lot of trees in this place. Let me tell you. Uh, Tony so, Vincent, by the way, who did the composite photo uh, of you today, moved uh-huh. from, she's a rock photographer and she moved from New York to to Oregon as well. Yes. Oh, cool. It's um, a beautiful state. I mean, whether you're in, in Portland, which is considered the Valley or um, the valley. there's Bend. And then there's the coast, which is just about, you know, uh, hour and 15 from me. And it's beautiful. It's, you know, gorgeous. So you, you've been able to work. Were you, were, you, uh, were you COVID cautious? Were you someone who didn't pay a lot of attention? Did you pay a lot of attention? No, I, I, paid, I paid a heck of a lot of attention to it, uh, you know, and, um, you know, just trying to grasp the science and, uh, you know, the common sense aspects of it and uh, mm-hmm. been really... Yeah, I've been really kind of like uh, more of a hermit than I usually am. <laughs> I call I, I call myself COVID crazy, and a lot of people who watch this show were the COVID crazies, and uh-huh. you know, spent like a year and a half locked up in my house. It's- oh my God, I think I've I've been. I mean, I think I've watched every episode of Combat, which is a night the sixties kind of. <laughs> I know Combat. <laughs> I mean, I think I watched every season. I watched every. <laughs> I've watched everything. Yeah, I think we so. All yeah, have, yeah, huh? um, yeah. We're we're just recently we're 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 getting together with with family, and uh, my brother flew in from from Florida last week and spent the entire week, and he had his oh, booster nice. shot. Uh, he and his wife came in. They both had the booster shot and spent a week uh, with us, and it was just great seeing my brother. I hadn't seen him in two years. It's like, yeah. oh man, it was so great to reminisce and spend really quality quality time with my family. It was great. So that's that was wonderful. restorative. And prior to that, my family and I, we went to the coast for a week and we just, it was really, it's the first time we'd gone away in a long, long time. And uh, we just chilled and we're just out there looking at the ocean and eating good, having great wine and just, you know, loving it. So did you, did you bone up on cooking? Did you eat more at home? I mean, I, I cooked more. Oh than my I'd God. Ever. Yes. Yeah. That, you know, and, and we've been ordering out cause I mean, Portland has great food, great restaurants. Really? What, and, what's native to Port? What's what's the food in Portland? Well, the food is uh, a lot of hybrid, uh, young uh, chefs. Uh, there's a quite there's 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 a young cutting edge uh, cuisine. Uh, there's uh, the traditional restaurants that have been here for a long time as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just a really great assortment. And and I mean, from farm to fork is like nothing here. It's like everybody having some donuts in some <laughs> little quaint little shop a, a few years ago and and we were just complimenting the owner how great they were he says oh yeah we get the honey right down the street <laughs> it's like wow. it's, 
you know, it's like, uh, yeah, okay, yeah, you know the person that provides you the honey to glaze your donuts with. I mean, that's kind of like, that's very deep. You know, it's like. It is you know, deep. I'm, I'm trying to grasp that. <laughs> they don't do that in the Bronx. Okay, so. No, they don't. They, so you just get a panish or something like that, you know, and a, you know, the bagel with a schmear. Yeah. You know, All right. So deal. we have to get to, we have to get to this. So, so your family, so now we've gone full circle to where you come from. So, mm -hmm. uh, so Ozone Park originally. Yeah. Born in Ozone Park. And then, um, then we moved to Hollis. And it's so funny that, that the work that I did years later with Run DMC and they're from Hollis. It's Which is crazy. Kind of, it's crazy. Some serendipitous kind of thing going on there. And, uh, so yeah, so, um, uh, Ozone Park to Hollis, Queens, and then like maybe six months on the Lower East Side and then, then uh, the Bronx, 163rd Street. Wait, and then so we were there. I was Pardon? just going to say, so we did the, I started out on the concourse, 161st, and then went to Corona, Queens, and then I was back in Helen Park. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, kind of got it. Got it. It's kind of reverse almost. So, yeah. but you went from sort of Ozone Park, kind of suburban-ish. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, we had a front yard, had a backyard, had a dog, the whole deal, you know, it's, uh, uh, it was, it was cool. And, and then, then going then, from uh, that to the Bronx is a whole different yeah. Then Hollis was even as was really a beautiful community. I, I don't know. I, just, I don't know Hollis. Where where's Hollis? It's like Farmers Boulevard, Jamaica hmm. area. Uh -huh. And uh yeah, it's total burbs, you know, and then and then the Bronx, you know, some 163rd Street, not too far from where you lived, um, uh east of the concourse. And uh, was there for a bit. Um, and then uh most of the years was on 175th Street. Uh, and Anthony Avenue, which was a uh, very unique. Actually, if you see that movie, uh, Fort Apache, the Bronx, there's yeah. a chase scene down our old block. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a trip. It's so Anthony that was a Avenue, very interesting. Wasn't that the very, like where all the great Italian restaurants are? No, that's more, no. Um, uh, that's Arthur Avenue. Arthur that's Avenue. Arthur that's Avenue right, where I'm all sorry. the great Italian restaurants are. Anthony Avenue is uh, straight up the concourse to 175th Street and then like five blocks east. And that would have been Anthony Avenue, much more like a, uh, the Tremont area is where do, I live. Do you remember Jan's ice cream parlor and oh, Alexander's? Yeah. Oh, on yeah. Fordham Road? Are you kidding? Yes. That was like, you know, Park Avenue. That was like the, the Mecca for shopping, <laughs> you know, Alexander's. Oh, my God. And there was Sam Goody's. I remember, oh, I remember yeah. buying uh, uh, my uh, I remember buying Sergeant Pepper's up there. And um, I was into all, you know, I was really into a lot of British music and British pop music. When I was a kid, I was strange. I was a Puerto Rican kid living in the five I, story. Okay, I want yeah. We walk up and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm walking up to Fordham Road to buy Scylla Black. Step inside, <laughs> love. I don't know what's, what the hell's wrong with me. So Great song though, Lennon and McCartney song. How did that happen? What, 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 how did you get turned on to British rock to the Beatles? What was it, Ed Sullivan? What, what, what happened for you? Oh, was Ed Sullivan? I saw Ed Sullivan, and uh, it was the, then you know the Beatles was it. Were you and, already uh, playing uh, guitar? You weren't playing guitar then. No, no, I wasn't. I wasn't playing guitar, but uh, that was a spark for me. And then the next spark was Jimi Hendrix. Oh. And my uh, my cousin came over on a New Year's Eve. I'll never forget. And he came over with three albums. Procol Harum, White Shade of Pale, Disraeli mm -hmm. Gears, Cream, and Are You Experienced? And man, that just, uh, that changed everything. Just changed everything for me. It was really, it's like, my ears were like virgin ears that just like just blew up and 
all that really... music, all the same oh, yeah. music. What, so yes. now, when did you? Okay, so your your parents musical, not musical. Uh, my my mother sang, and okay. uh, uh, but not professionally or anything like that. She, but right. she sang around the house, you know, and she had a beautiful voice. And my dad wasn't musical, but he did play bugle in the army. You know, my, oh, my wow. dad was a GI. Uh, and my uncle was uh, more of a musician than my dad was, and he played trumpet. And um, so, yeah, I guess somewhere, somewhere along the line, there was that kind of connection uh, to music. And what kind of music did, did you grow up with? What kind of music was playing in your house when you were a kid? Oh, well, pretty much uh, there was a lot of Latin music. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, growing up in the Bronx in the 60s, uh, the... To me, that was the golden era for Latin music with uh, Tito Puente and Eddie mm -hmm. Palmieri and uh, Machito and all the great, great bands mm -hmm. uh, that were around. There was something to that era uh, with Latin music. I call it Latin music because it's, you know, I mean, salsa is a condiment, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, so uh, I, I call it, I call it Latin music mm -hmm. and, uh, and beautiful music. And so there was a lot of that in the house. And then as the 60s evolved, my older brother, Carlos, uh, he had... Um, How many? He okay, had, a lot of siblings. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. Six boys and a girl. Wow. Okay. And, uh, and um, my sister, have a sister, uh, my, our only uh, sister passed and my, my older brother passed uh, years ago. And uh, so, uh, but yeah, it was... Uh, a lot of music. My brother, my older brother, as I said, Carlos, he had uh, everything from um, Sketches of Spain, Miles Davis, uh, Stan Getz, Knight Rider, um, Morgana King, Arthur Prysock, Bob Dylan, Tony Bennett, Sun oh, wow. Ra. So, I mean, just the whole, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, real gamut of what was happening. And then I had my Beatle albums and then I had my Hendrix albums and I kept those separate because I didn't want my records getting scratched. I was just like really kind of <laughs> anal about that shit. And I, <laughs> I didn't want any scratches. I still have those albums. I still have my first Beatle album, which was Revol Revolver. Yeah, it's my first Beatle album. And then I went back, you know, yeah. uh, chronologically the to the Beatles first album. Was my first one, yeah. So, yeah. so, so, when did you pick up the guitar? How did that happen? I picked up the well. You know, I had been asking my dad for a guitar, and um, we came from you know humble, humble beginnings. So. Mm -hmm. He saved up his shackles, saved up money, you know, and got me my first acoustic guitar. And uh, I played that until it literally, literally fell, up, fell apart, Vicky. I mean, I was had, I had string around the bridge, keeping it down. And I played that. And then, then he got me my first electric guitar, which was a, a Gretsch, a Gretsch Corvette and a Deluxe Reverb, wow. which is a uh, Deluxe Reverb was a very coveted amp. Uh, it was mm -hmm. a black panel Deluxe. Even to this day, it's a coveted amplifier and probably two to three grand if you get a nice one. Wow. So back then it was just like a buck 50. It wasn't, you know, but it was a lot of money for my dad. It was like right. you know, maybe guitar and amp is maybe 75, you know, $100 or something maybe, you know, but that was a lot of dough, you know, and, um, but uh, that was it. Then I was on my own after I got my electric guitar and then, you know. So, did, all the so other... your family obviously supported you in being in playing if he got you this. Oh, stuff. they supported me 100%. It wasn't like, oh, well, you know, yeah, we want you to play, but we want you to, you know, do something else. You know what I mean? It was like, kind of like that, you know, what you're going to fall back on every, every, I'm sure all the players out there have heard that from their parents, you know. You didn't like, get that? No, no, wow. I didn't. 
That's miraculous. And I was playing in clubs doing six sets a night when I was 16 years old. Okay, how did that happen? So wait, wait. How, okay, so how did you go from getting this little acoustic guitar in your your Gretsch to playing in clubs? Well, practice. (laughs) You know, I just, I was, I was obsessive. I was, uh, Are you self-taught, Eddie? Did you take lessons? Primarily, yeah. I never really took any, I took a few lessons from a great guitarist named Sal Salvador. But that was like in the early 80s. So primarily, I'm, I'm self-taught. I did have uh, great uh, music uh, classes in William Howard Taft uh, in the Bronx. And I'm we had a great music department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great music department there. So I had a music theory there, which to me was, oh, it was instrumental in terms of uh, my playing. Because if you, know, if you know what's happening theoretically, then you know how to get around and do what you need to do. So uh, it was, it was uh, really great. Uh, and to but be a session player, you have to read, so. Yeah, well, yeah, you have to read, but you know, a lot of the dates that happened in the, in the 70s and in the 80s, they wanted you for your sound and your expertise. So they'd have a chart and it would be like, you know, you know A for like 36 bars and you come <laughs> up with the parts, you know what I mean? So it's like, it was like filling the gaps. You know, but uh, if you sometimes if you were doing jingles and stuff, things were, were written out uh, uh, a lot more, you know, uh, concisely and clearly. But, you know, uh, my ears were always faster than my eyes. So I was able to get around really, really well and um, and and be able to hang in all those sessions. I remember George Duke told me, he says, never let the paper intimidate you. And I never did, you know, wow. so whether it was whether it was, you know, uh Jim Steinman and Andrew Lloyd Webber or whoever, you know, uh, you know, from the spectrum, you know, it was just, it was really um, just about playing and coming up with the parts because that's what they want. They want you to come up with some magic to make their song better because usually the stuff that's written out, unless it's really, really written precisely, say if you're doing something for a film score that is really precise mm-hmm. and, and then, then you have to, you have to adhere to what's on the paper, but in pop music, they're looking for a vibe. Right, and they and they're looking for what you have done in the past, and they want you to do that again, but within the context of what what you're playing on with them. And wow, have you done that? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go through it. But so at the beginning, you're playing in clubs at 16. I don't even know how you're doing that because you're underage. And how do you even do that? Oh my God! Well, they hid me in the they hid me in the office in the back, <laughs> in between sets, and. Um, and the deal with my parents was, was that um, as soon as you're done, you come home and you make sure you go to school the next morning. If you don't, the deal's off. It was as simple as that. Mm-hmm. So um, they gave me that freedom. So I had to honor that commitment. And that's the way, that's the way it was. I really so I'd be, I'd be drooping in class, but, uh, but uh, you know, it all worked out. You, you made it through high school? Yeah. Yeah, made it through high school. And uh, yeah, Taft was a great high school. I mean, there was a lot of different disparate vibes. People, you know, diff- it was so multicultural, but mm-hmm. uh, and, albeit the times are turbulent, um, but the school was really cool. A lot of cool people. I, I look back fondly on, on Taft. Eventually it became one of the, you know, one of the, you know, one of the worst schools in America. <laughs> I saw something 
on Google or something like that. Really? Uh, that talked about the school in terms of, I mean, I think it was one of the first schools with metal detectors. Can you believe that? Oh my God. What a concept. Yeah, well, the you know? South Bronx was tough. It was definitely yeah. a tough town. Um, I was talking to you before the show about, I've been listening to some of your interviews today and just so taken by how articulate and educated you are and come to and have come to learn that it's self-educated for the most part for that. Um, were your parents, did they instill that in you? Where did that come from, do you think? Uh, well, I know my, my dad was a big reader mm. and uh, I, I think I kind of picked that up from him. And uh, so I love to read and, um, and uh, you know, so I've just done a lot of reading and done, you know, it's, I think uh, when, you, when you discover things for yourself, it, it's so much stickier to you in terms of, mm -hmm. in terms of your development as a, as a person. So when yeah. it's not rammed down your throat and yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah, either that, I mean, it's all a matter of, of, of teaching. You know, and there's certain teachers that you connect with and certain teachers that, you know, they're just, you know, they're phoning it in, you know, right. and it's really apparent. And, and uh, you know, a great teacher is so amazing because they instill the passion. They, they instill the spark. Absolutely. So how did it go from playing clubs? How, how did you go pro? I mean, I assume you were making money doing that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, so I, I was. Uh, I was... I was determined. I didn't want to play in clubs forever. Mm -hmm. I, I well, saw so what as, was the dream, Eddie? What was the original? What was the dream when you were a teenager? The dream was to play on records and play on stages, on concert stages, as opposed to doing six weeks at a club playing top 40 music. Not to disparage that, because, I mean, that's a great, that's, that's great as a foundation for a musician mm -hmm. doing those kind of gigs. It, it, it kind of seasons you in a way. Um, that's really good for future, for future years. Mm -hmm. But I just had, a, I just had a, a North star and the North star was, I, I wanted to be in studios. I wanted to play on records. I wanted to, I wanted to play riffs or play on songs that people were, were going to have to learn. Wow. And, and, and that why was, did you do that? How, how did you, is there a way that you train yourself to be able to improvise and to be able to come up with them? How did, how did you move into that where you were creating music yourself? Uh, well, I think, you know, it's fundamental to have mentors mm -hmm. and people that are guiding you along the way. And each step along the way, I had people that were mentors and, and, uh, and that kind of mentorship is so instrumental. Mm -hmm. um, I remember the, the, the first, the first uh, band that I, that I was in that got a record deal was a band called Mother Night, mm -hmm. and uh, and I I think myself and the drummer were the youngest guys. I was around eighteen when I first got it in, in the band, and the drummer was drummer Arnold Ramsey, a great drummer, uh, was around uh, around the same age as, as as me, and and we had a bass player named Val Burke who was in the band, and I you know I mean Val uh, was and remains a mentor to me I, I learned a lot from him because the music was really demanding mm. and they really believed in me and that kind of encouragement you know and they kind of schooled me in a really interesting way about all different types of music because the band you know there was 
it, you know, albeit we were playing a lot of cover music, mm-hmm. we were playing James Brown, Dyke and the Blazers, Chicago, Blood, Sweat and Tears, uh, Santana, all the all the popular music of the time, plus the, the classic funk tunes as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really instrumental for me being in that band in terms of being a musician and 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 listening. And because, you know, when you play, you have to really listen well, too. It's, you know, it's, 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 it, the process is really kind of um, a circuitous process because you're mm-hmm. listening and you're also playing and you're listening to the others so you can figure out what you're going to do and where you fit in. And, and, um, and that's the beginning. So when I think of that Mother Night and then all the different bands that I played in subsequent to that, um, working at LaBelle was really, was, was amazing because um, working with those three powerful women is something really, really, um, boy, you really learn how to, how to comport yourself in front of an audience because they're, they each, and, and we lost Sarah last week, Sarah I'm Dash so passed sorry, away, yes. which is so sad. And, um, and it came as a shock to me, uh, but um, uh, they were so dynamic and so powerful and they control the audience and, mm. uh, and, and the audience were crazy for them. Mm. And with that comes, uh, with that comes also a responsibility to deliver, yeah. you know, yeah. and, uh, and I learned that from them. And then, oh my goodness, working with Nona as a, uh, as a solo artist was really incredible. And then working with Lenny White, uh, one of the great drummers who played with Chick Corea and, mm-hmm. and Return to Forever. That and was- that's a completely different, I mean, that's your, to go from rock, well, R&B. Yeah, to like a jazz, jazz. Uh, funk fusion. Yeah. yeah, that was a really, it was, a, that was a, a very interesting curve for me because I had been playing funk and, and rock gen, generally. But had I you did studied, have a, had you studied jazz? As a, no, as I a, didn't, uh, well, not really per se, but I did, did study it within the context of the bands that I played in previous, like the band Mother Night. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, every once in a while we would jam on the standards, you know? So, uh, you know, uh, I had to learn, I had to learn some of those tunes to be able to play along with that stuff. So right. I had a great knowledge of chords. And um, the thing with Lenny was really, uh, it, was, uh, it was a higher education. Um, the music was a lot more precise. It was really ensemble, funk, uh, funk pop orientated. And that was great because to be in that band, you really had, you'd have to be on your toes. You know, it, it demanded a lot more musically. How did you get and, that gig? I mean, because I would think he would go after a jazz guitarist. How how did how did you get that? Well, um, a friend of mine, Denzel Miller, who's a genius uh, uh, keyboardist, uh, dear friend, another mentor. Uh, he he recommended me to Lenny and and uh, invited me down to audition. So I went down and auditioned and played. And uh, Lenny asked me if I wanted to, to play. And um, fantastic. And. Uh, it was great. I made three albums with Lenny and uh, Lenny's a dear friend to this day. Amazing musician. I mean, amazing. And his history as a musician is, you know, incredible playing with Miles, Bitches Brew and all that stuff. And, you know, really iconic records and really one of the, one of the great jazz rock stylists. So I'm imagining time. doing that jazz fusion rock it must have informed what you were going to do moving forward because you now you have that as p- part of your basis as well. 
Well, I do have, have as a part of my basis, albeit uh, the music that I've done as a solo artist, I, would, I don't know if it falls into that. It's more, it's hard to, you know, it's really hard to categorize what you, what you do when, you're, uh, when you've been around so many different types of components. It just is what it is. I mean, if you listen to my record, there's some tracks on that. I listen sound. to your record and I, oh, I, first of all, you are a killer singer. Oh my God. Well, Which, I sang before I played, you that, know, I, okay, before yeah, I played guitar. I so Niall Rogers, I read, was the one who got you that first, did he get you that first audition Yeah, with, Yeah, he called me up. His, uh, he gave me this name in, back in high school because we went to Taft together. And he says, yo, Spiff, uh, you know, give these cats and a call. Spiff, look I heard yeah, that spiffy. was. <laughs> and uh, so he said, yo, Spiff, you know, call these cats and looking for guitarists. And that was Mother Night. So long story short, uh, on, on a recommendation, now give me a, a number to call. And I went down and auditioned and, and got and that position. And you auditioned as a, as a vocalist as well as a... As no, a, no. I, you know, I mean, the first band that I was in in the Bronx, that was a singer before, before I played guitar. You know, I, I was learning guitar, but I, you know, and then I, I was a bassist for a bit. When the bass player left the band, <laughs> somebody had to fill it. I knew a bit of guitar. Then I started playing bass. It's one of those kind of things, you know, it's mm -hmm. really funny, you know, fill the gap. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good when you can fill the gaps. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, you know, and and then as I was learning guitar, one day the drummer, Warren, uh, said to me, why don't you guys switch instruments? So the, the guy that was the guitarist, Danny, he, uh, he handed me his guitar and I handed him my bass and I started playing guitar and Warren said, he said, Eddie, if you don't stay on the guitar, you're out of your freaking mind. You know, wow. stay on the instrument. I'll never forget him telling me that. And so I, I jumped it into it even, even heavier. Wow. Okay. So I, I, I met Niall in the eighties. I know Niall from the eighties, but wow, you guys go back to the sixties, right? That's yeah. Yeah. That's, late sixties. And, and Niall was playing in a blues band. He was a, a, a rhythm guitarist in a blues band and he lived right around the corner from me. And uh, we became fast friends and friends to this day. You know, and you know, Bernard Edwards lived up a block from me, and I didn't know that until years later. Wow. So yeah. Everybody's right from the, the Bronx. <laughs> so so okay, so then so so LaBelle, Nona Hendrix, Robert Palmer. How do you go from how did that happen? How'd you get the Robert Palmer gig? Wow. Oh wait, no. There was, then you did the jazz, right? Do you, and you did I, Stanley Clark yes, also, right? Stanley Clark and George Duke after Lenny White. Wow. Right, and uh, toured with them for a couple of years. That was that was amazing. I mean, uh, as Stanley and George are like just really incredible. They were incredible. God rest his soul. George so loved in the business, and he was just mm -hmm. a great. He and Stanley are such great leaders. They give you mm -hmm. this kind of freedom. They give you this freedom as as an artist, and um, and uh, they let you do what you do. And when that happens, it gives you such a big responsibility to come up with something really special and magical, you know. And that to me, that is what is so great. They they're incredible leaders. They're incredible mm -hmm. professionals. They comport themselves to the highest of standards, and uh, just great work working with those guys. I mean, I love them dearly.
and friends to this day. Wonderful. And so from, from that, okay, so then <laughs> yeah. from this intense jazz, how do you end up in this, like, the pop Blondie. of the pop? Blondie. Oh, Blondie first? Yes. Yeah, oh. after, after Stanley Clark and George Duke, yeah. I, I decided I, I, I wanted to take a break from touring. And I really wanted to crack the studio scene in New York. To me, that was my goal. And it's a very tight-knit click, too. I mean, yeah. I would say the same thing for Los Angeles. The studio mm -hmm. scene is very, it's a very kind of uh, tight-knit thing, you know. So I, had, uh, I, I just, I heard Bernard was recording his solo album at the power station. So I knew Bernard. I called, I called up the students, hello, may I speak to Bernard Edwards? And um, they put me on, yo, yo, Spiff, what's happening? I says, hey, Bernard, I hear you're making a record. I says, if, if, you, if you have an, any need for a guitar, man, I'd, I'd love to play on it. He says, uh, what do you do tomorrow? <laughs> wow. So, yeah, and I, I met him. Uh, I met him for lunch the next day. And then the following day, uh, I played on the record and played on the rest of the album. And it was at a point where he and Nile kind of like, they were starting to produce things independently mm. and they were separating as a, a, the Rogers Edwards production and mm -hmm. they were going their separate ways. And mm. um, it was a great opportunity uh, for me to play on a lot of records with Bernard. And uh, working with Bernard, uh, they were working on the Power Station band, the, the group with uh, Andy and John Taylor and Tony Thompson. And when Bernard was working on that record, um, I, uh, I went upstairs to say hello because I was working on the Jagger album at that time at Power Station. Okay, and, we have to uh, talk about all of this. This is crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I was working on the Jagger album. And it's, uh, okay, wait, as, how, oh. how the hell did that? I mean, you're you're a Bronx boy who loves the Beatles and now you're working with Mick Jagger. I mean, come on, that has to be well, crazy. It's so funny. I'll tell you, sorry, I was, I was going to a rehearsal on 30th Street and I go to the rehearsal studio and I'm setting up my gear and, I, and, and somebody from the office says, Eddie, there's a phone call for, from you. And I, I said, uh, you know, so it, was, it was my wife. And I, I says, yeah, what's up? He says, oh, um, Bill Laswell called up. He wants, you to, wants to know whether you can be in the Bahamas tomorrow to work on Mick Jagger's album. <laughs> That's, that was it. That was it. It was, it, it says, uh, well, yeah, well, from, I'll be from, on that plane. <laughs> Okay, so from Stanley Clark, like, where did they get you from? Where did they find, how did they find you? Well, I'd, I'd worked with Laswell a couple of times, and I think he liked what, what I did, you know, and um, obviously I worked with Nona, and and so uh, I'd, I'd worked with him, I think, oh gosh, this was like 84, 85. I'd done a few things with Bill, maybe with uh, Sly and Robbie, and he kind of liked what I was doing, so I went down to the Bahamas and uh, spent a week down there then came back to New York and, and continued working with Mick on uh, worked with just about every rhythm section on that on that album. You and then worked he asked with Jeff to... Beck. Yes, you I did. Down I, I mean, oh, my God. I mean, he's one of my heroes. I mean, Mine Jeff too. Beck is like Jeff fucking Beck. Pardon my French. No, they're, they're, <laughs> where the, that's quite. I, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yes. Holy uh, but, shit. Uh, that was. Yeah, that's what I was saying, you know, and it was great. Jeff was so cool. And to record with him was really an incredible experience. I, um, I loved every moment of it because I was just, I, I wasn't really trying to cop licks because you can't really do what he does. He's just, he's, 
he's such a, uh, an incredible otherworldly talent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but what you can learn is how their thought process is in terms of how they approach recording. And to me, I learned a valuable lesson because there's something so authentic about him and it's in the moment. So he's in the moment, he's really in the present, so focused with the music uh, that I says, wow, he's really streaming. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's some next level streaming going on here because things were coming out as he was just really feeling the tune. And, um, and it was great, it was great. We cut tracks, we, it was really a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And wow. uh, I, and you know, when you work with people like that, you know, that incredible, you have to find out what you can do to number one, complement the piece of music and number two, to stay out of his way, you know, mm-hmm. and that's easier said than done, you know, but we were able to work on things together and, and uh, we created our own lanes, uh, you know, I so that was really. I cannot even imagine that side by side. Uh, wow. I, I have to go back and listen to that music and hear it. Wow. Oh, oh it was a lot scary. of fun. It was really great. It was great. So I worked with him down there and then I continued working up in New York, actually with Nile. Nile uh, produced a few tracks for that, for that record as well. So uh, didn't you work with Tina with Mick as well? Yeah, I worked with, uh, with Tina at, um, at Live Aid. So that was, that was, that was amazing. Oh my God. What was was that like? Everybody in the world was playing that. Oh my God. That was really the fastest 20 minutes of my life. I tell people it's like, <laughs> it, it was really the, one of the few times that I've been on stage where the energy of the audience is literally drowning out the DBs that you're putting on stage. It was really wow. electric. And so there was this reciprocal energy cause we were, we were playing hard and the audience was giving back as hard as, as we were giving. And it was really, it was amazing. It was, oh my it was, God. It was crazy, crazy fun. Oh crazy my fun. God. Uh, so, okay, so so Robert Palmer, how, how did this happen? What was that story? Well, I heard they were recording at Power Station. I was down in Studio A, they were up in Studio C. So I took an elevator up there and to say hello to my friends and, and Robert Palmer comes out and says, oh, oh, I heard about you. He says, what are you doing in November? And I says, well, uh, I'll, you know, what, what's happening? Says, I'd like for you to play on my record. I says, I'm ready. Let's do it. And that was a real turning point, point for me because I think out of, out of all the work, I think that was the first time that I was able to really be me in a recording. Well, if that's you, if those iconic riffs are, I mean, I know the guitar part. I mean, I'm not a guitarist and I know the guitar parts to all those songs. They're in, that's what I think of when I think of those songs. It's you, it's your work. Oh my God. Oh, how- thank you. Thank where you. Did that, where, how did that, where did that come from? Simply irresistible. I mean, I mean. Yeah, oh, just... that was, oh, that's a crazy story. Um, well, uh, to go back to the first album, uh, Riptide, that was done right. in the Bahamas. And uh, Bernard Edwards produced that. And that had Addicted to Love on it and Did Mean to Turn Unmo- You On. And those oh, really, uh, really, that is somebody that should be in the Rock and Roll, roll Hall of Fame. I cannot believe that Robert Palmer is not in the Rock and Roll Hall. That of really fame. is it's sinful. Does he, get no- Does he get nominated? He has to be nominated all the time. Uh, I don't nominated? know. It's I don't know. I think it's very political, and you have mm. to have a whole lobby of people that are creating this energy with the board mm. and all this and that. I, I don't know anything about that kind of stuff. And 
And Robert was of the mind, he's, you know, uh, that wasn't part of his world. You know, mm -hmm. it was, Robert was just all about the music. It was all about the music. I remember when he signed, you know, this enormous contract um, uh, with EMI and, uh, and it wasn't about the money. It was about, it's, now I have my freedom to be able to do what I want to do. I, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, like a, a scientist and I've got my laboratory and, um, and he made some incredible records. So to get to Simply Irresistible, uh, that song was Donnie and Frank and William Bryant had cut that track and there, no, there weren't any guitars on it. And I'd flown in to Italy because that, that record was done in Italy. The, the previous album was done in, wow. in the Bahamas at Compass Point. So um, the track was up and it was killing. And it was, and I just, I just, you have to hear stuff. I tell people, you know, that, that want to do studio work. You have to, you have to be musical and you have to hear stuff when you hear a, a bare bones, uh, bare bones track and uh but there was incredible energy because frank blair and, and donnie Wynn, who played uh, bass and and drums on it are just monsters and when i heard that i said oh my goodness i just it's like you start getting this kind of nervous energy because you're hearing so much stuff and you just want to get started so you want to get your tones ready and stuff and and it was so much it was there's so much energy and I just had to really find my 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 way to kind of create um, a kind of guitar kind of landscape, for lack of a better phrase, you know, that could weave in and out with Robert and, and stuff. And it was just great. And the solo was a lot of fun to do. And oh my Robert, God. it was so out. It was, I, I, you know, I, I I did something kind of atonally and kind of, in, it was kind of like intervals and stuff. Uh, uh, musicians and, and guitarists would know. Um, and and Robert loved it, you know. The the further I can't believe the record was such an enormous hit. The solo was kind of like, kind of uh, atonal, and it weaves in. There's some whole tone stuff going in there, and there's, you know, parallel fourths and fifths and things like that. And so, uh, but it was I was I felt like I got away with murder. To be honest with you, <laughs> to be able to do something kind of like that extreme, you know. And, did he uh, did he have any idea? Did he come at you with anything, or was that all of your creation? Oh, he he loved it. He loved it. He was right there when I was doing it, you know. And he loved the way he called it Large Marge, like in the Pee Wee Herman movie. You know, when he gets into the <laughs> the truck, and that 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 old lady who's behind the truck, she, her her face becomes all grotesque and all that stuff. He called it Large Marge, you know, which was a compliment, you know, because it was just really kind of nasty and ugly, and and it suited the track. Did he, was that character, was that persona that he created of his own creation? Did he have a, a, a savvy business person guiding him or was that his thing? I'm going to wear a suit and tie. I'm going to be slick. I'm going to have these girls. I mean, who came up with all that? Well, the, the girls in the video, uh, Terrence Donovan, I think the guy's name was, he was a fashion photographer mm -hmm. in England and those two videos were the first videos he had ever done. What? He'd never done a video before. So wow. his, 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 his vision was, okay, you know, the whole haute couture vibe with women and, you know, dressed up and their hairs all up and lots of pancake on and, you know, and the short skirts <laughs> and Robert kind of dressed to the nines, but Robert was like that. Robert was very dapper. That wasn't, that wasn't a contrivance. Um, mm -hmm. Robert was always dialed. 
you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, even at rehearsals, even in the studio, uh, more times than not, he'd be wearing a tie and a suit. You know, just that's wow. just the way he rolled. That was authentic. It wasn't contrived. And, um, and uh, you know, well, he wore it, it well. Yeah, he, yeah, I was going to say it fit him to a T. I mean, it was yeah. the whole deal. Um, and so was that, that had to be fun. That had to be crazy fun. Well, you know, it was really cool because I played on number ones before, but there was something really special about, about that. I felt that um, it was really an example of what um, Bernard, Tony Thompson, Donnie Wynn, Frank Blair, Bernard Edwards, myself, Jeff Bova, Wally Bataru, and and it, we, it was just a, a really an incredible moment where just you know it was just some sort of energy going on there that uh, just uh, I, I knew Addicted to Love was a hit. I mean, I you guys it. made a I new sound. It. That was a new sound. There was nothing uh, you know, like I, that. Yeah, you know, it's like. I wasn't hearing guitars like that other than maybe what, you know, Steve Lukather was doing on the West Coast mm -hmm. or Mike Landau, who are just, just iconic guitarists. You know, I just love their work. And, um, and uh, you know, I just wanted to put my fingerprint on things, being someone from the East Coast, because I listened to all those cats when I was, when I was first starting, you know, and was, you know, just getting into the guitar. I'm, I'm big fans of theirs. Well, you certainly made your mark. There's no question about that. Uh, and then Run, Run, D, Run DMC, there, there was no rock. Well, there was no, there was no rap before Run DMC. Yeah, no, it's the there? first time that, yeah, no, they hadn't been. It's the first time that, you know, rock guitar had been paired with, with, uh, with, with uh, rap music. And um, wow, it was, that was really an incredible session. I, I, was, I didn't know what to expect. But uh, Larry Smith, who, um, who uh, you know, uh, produced it and, and wrote the piece of music, uh, really, I went to the studio and it was just a drum machine and the bass line. And I just built up on that. And I did all these guitars. I stacked them up and, and I, I did them in harmony. And, uh, and it, was, it was not really well received by the artist. There's a, there's a documentary on AMC about, uh, uh, I think, Songs That Rock the World, I think it's called. And, and they didn't get it, but eventually they did get it because, you know, Russell wow. Simmons and Larry said, this is, this is the way, this is the path. And, uh, and it turned out to be true. And the rest is history. Then we did King of Rock. And then they went on and did that stuff with Aerosmith. But the stuff that I did was really the, the spark that, uh, you know, created that whole buzz and the first rap video ever played on MTV. And, and it's, you know, they're really iconic figures in the world of rap and in the world of uh, rock music. And uh, very happy for those guys. And you were right there with them. And I read that Guitar Player Magazine voted your solo uh, like the number one hip hop guitar rock solo of like, yeah. Oh, really? I, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I read that. <laughs> it's on Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, well, that's cool. That's, that's really cool. cool. That's flattering. You know, um, I felt it was a good day at work. I didn't know it was going to be. I didn't know it was going to be that enormous of a, of a hit, 
And you're um, also a one funky looking dude. You always had like you were you're a fashion guy. You you had stuff going on in everything that you've done. You've always had something going on. Yeah, I think that was a Kanzai Yamamoto. Remember that designer back in the day? Oh my God. And yes, uh, I remember yeah, that the was name. A, that was a jumpsuit that I picked up. <laughs> and uh that was cool. That was cool. That was fun. You always well, had crazy you. hair too, like you had geometric fro's and all kinds of things going on. Oh yeah, because I had an enormous fro in high school. I mean, it's like, I mean, my fro was so big. I was, I was combing out window panes from from adjacent <laughs> buildings. <and stuff. laughs> it was really an, it was really an, it was a big fro, and uh, and then as the '80s came about, uh, I kind of like made it a bit more of a wedge. Yeah, you, you know? did. So, yeah, boy. Man, it took a lot of gel to keep that. <laughs> as soon as we hit the stage and the lights, it would just like flop. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. It was all right. It was so much fun. The 80s was so much fun. Oh, my God. So you were, everything... New, you were in New York and you were in New York and in, in those that was your stomping ground. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I was it, that time was so fruitful and it was so great to see all my friends, you know, whether it was Carmen Rojas or Jose Rossi, Alan Childs all these great musicians, everybody kind of like, we've all, we played collectively, but individually we kind of like all had our own, created our own lane, you know? And so it was great. I mean, Carmen was hitting it with Bowie and Julian Lennon mm -hmm. and John Wade and Jose was with, you know, with Talking Heads and Cameo and all sorts of different people. And Alan, you know, just, you know, John Wade and Bowie and, you know, so it, it was, uh, everybody was just, we were just doing our own thing. It was crazy. It was so much fun. And it was even more fun if we bumped into each other on the road. <laughs> oh yeah. man, the parties we had, geez, that was great. Okay, so I wanna ask you about that because, and did you ever have an issue? I, I'm in recovery, I, I'm, I'm a sober woman. Did you ever have, I mean, you were in that world. Was there ever, mm -hmm. did you have issues with substances? Was that ever a problem for you? I am so lucky. I'm so lucky that um, I never did. I never did. Um, I, first of all, I think primarily is like, I can't drink and play. I mean, some cats can drink and smoke a bone and go on stage and kill. I can't. I never have been able to, been able to do that. So I, I couldn't hang with it. I, I had to be sober. And, you know, then after, after the show, I'll, I'll have my champagne because of Robert's, Robert's right. Oh, sorry, my dogs are making a lot of noise. That's okay. Um, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, after after the show, you know, uh, Rob, Robert Schreider had like, you know, Anthony Stoley, Crown Royal, like Heineken, you know, a, a case of of a Moy Chandon. So after the show, the you know, the bubbly would pop and that was it for me. But uh, I, I couldn't I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't deal with the residual effects of really getting. Uh, toasted and wasted whatever it was the, the next morning is just like i can't hang with that that uh, multi-substance yeah the multi-substance hangover oh my god that's like <laughs> oh that's yeah. like getting run over by a sanitation truck you know you just feel brutal yeah so Good i couldn't you. hang with that thank Good you. For you all right so i want to ask you about some more so joe cocker another absolute hero of mine what god you played with joe cocker. oh gentlemen an absolute gentleman. We were doing so. We recorded. I, I forget where it was. It could have been Sunset, Sunset Recorder, Sunset Sound, or I, I forget the studio. But um, 
he came down to the studio when we were cutting the track and absolute nice guy. I still remember, oh, I just had a great meal of bangers and mash. He just had, you know, his whole, <laughs> you know, his whole British uh, dinner and a very, very charming man. I, he, was, he was a kind, kind human being and iconic singer. Oh God, yeah. How, okay, so Rod Stewart. So I actually just saw before the pandemic, uh, Rod played and at the bowl, and Jeff Beck was the the featured guest. But you know, it wasn't like back in the day because Rod was being sort of Vegas Rod, and and then was this recent? This was yeah, this recent. This Vicky? was two years ago. Oh yes, I've seen the clip, and yeah. it just wasn't like seeing Rod and Jeff. I mean. Rod, he was doing all his Vegas stuff for the first set. And then I went to see Beck and then Beck came out and that's when Rod started to rock and they would do, you know, the faces stuff. And, but, um, but Beck only did like four songs and then he's gone. And it was, it was kind of heartbreaking, but, uh, but you worked with, yeah. with Rod back in the day when Rod was rocking. Yeah, I was, uh, I played on his out of order album and uh, shot, uh, shot a video with him. Um, uh, lost in you mm. and uh and uh, that was a big comeback actually a, a comeback record for him uh, uh bernard had produced that record as well mm -hmm. and uh and it's a great album i mean that that album killed and that was yeah. a springboard for the tour and uh, i was going to tour and i i was rehearsing and and you know i don't want to get into it but i decided not to not to uh, uh do the tour so i kind of backed out before the tour him. I don't think he's ever forgiven me since then. Oh, you know. But I saw him. Oh, God, haven't seen him in a long time. But uh, I like Rod, you know. And he's he's man. You know, I was when I was rehearsing with him. Where are you going to do any songs off of Gasoline Alley or anything? Because I'm, I'm I'm into the I'm into Rod and the Faces. Hell yeah, and Jeff Beck group. Yes. I mean, the second concert I ever went to was Rod Stewart in Central Park. And Rod and Rod was wearing a canary yellow jacket. I'll never forget it, man. He came out and they were killing Woody was playing bass. Oh. That's that's the shit that I love. Oh yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. and um and uh, Rod in his prime, I mean, one of the greatest rock singers. I mean yeah, absolutely unbelievable. And absolutely. the faces and you know, cut across shorty and all that, and his version of Street Fighting Man just kills, you know. So I'm a, an enormous fan. And um and uh, he's cool nice guy he's into he's into toy trains man he's got an incredible really oh yeah yes yeah, it's, it's insane um you know we skipped right past blondie what was that whole thing like you that was such a trip <laughs> vicky how uh, so I, a friend of mine larry smith called me up uh, the producer of run dmc yeah mm -hmm. uh, he says and this was a couple of years before run dmc he says eddie i just heard blondie's you know having auditions uh, you know, he was at a rehearsal studio and he heard about it. He called this number. So I, I called the number and uh, made an appointment to go down. And I didn't think in a million years I was going to get the gig because I just don't, I don't think that, I didn't think that I fit, you know, in terms of what they were looking for as, as, as a guitarist. Yeah, except um, you as a guitarist have fit into every, you have crossed every genre line. So anyway, I'm not listening to you, but go ahead. <laughs> so I, you know, I just went down there with the intent, I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to dime the amplifier and I'm just going to play the songs. So I, I walk in and Debbie takes a Polaroid of me 
And uh, did you know the? Were you familiar with the music? I think they asked me to familiarize myself with a couple of songs. Mm -hmm. Hold on, puppy, go upstairs. Sarah. And uh, excuse me. Right. <laughs> so. Um, I, uh, they, I think they asked me to familiarize myself with a few songs. So I went down and I just cranked and I played my butt off. And, and um, by the time I got off the D train and walked five blocks <laughs> to my apartment on Bedford Park Boulevard mm -hmm. in the Bronx, Decatur Avenue. Wow. And, um, and uh, um, there's a call for you, uh, you know, uh, call this number. I called, I had the gig. By the Jesus. time I got home, I had wow. the gig. Wow. So. And then um, Lisa Robinson wrote about it in the paper and all that Lisa. And stuff. And yeah, I haven't seen her in years, but if you know her, tell her I said hi. I haven't and, seen uh, Lisa used to write about my things 40 years or 30 years ago, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Ago. So, um, and then we toured and at that time, mm -hmm. uh, Chris was, was really not feeling well. He had some sort mm -hmm. of disorder or something like that. So um, we did, we were supposed to go, we, we just toured the East Coast. I don't think we went west of the Mississippi. And uh, we were supposed to go out west and then go to Hong Kong and Japan and tour there. That never developed because Chris felt ill and Debbie didn't want to continue. And mm. much respect to her. And uh, so the tour was cut short, but it was great. I mean, I was getting picked up in a limo to a Learjet. You know, you, wow. walk off the, you walk off the limo, you walk. You walk into the walk on the jet and you come back home, you, you know, the same night you, you fly out of Toronto, you do a gig, you come back home. And then after the tour is back on the D train <laughs> was a rim shot, you know, you know, but it's all, it's all good. She couldn't have been hotter than she was back. Yeah. Then. And, wow. and she's a sweetheart. Debbie Harry is a really kind soul. That's nice to know. That's yeah. good to hear. Speaking of sweetheart, okay, so Shaka Khan, you played with Shaka. What was that like? Shaka's amazing. She's 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 power. Um, uh, she's powerful, smart, um, unbelievable vocal ability. I, I, you know, she's really one of the iconic, uh, iconic singers. Mm -hmm. I think you know, uh, you've got Aretha, you've got Patty. You know, Patty LaBelle is unbelievable. unbelievable. Yes. Unbelievable. And and Shaka is her range, her range in terms of the scope of music that she's covered in, in the arc of her career is incredible. And uh, Anita Baker is another one that is mm -hmm. just unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I never work with Anita, uh, but uh, uh, Shaka is powerful. How'd you get and that gig? I got a call from, oh gosh, uh, was it Wayne Brathwaite? I think it was, it was a bass player. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the second time I worked on a track with her was with Russ Titleman. It was for um, this movie called Crush Groove. Mm -hmm. And I uh, worked with Russ. I used to work with Russ a bit, work with him on Steve Winwood's records. And, you know, he's a brilliant producer and, and a friend to this day. We, we, we touch base every once in a while. Eddie G is on here and he was the one who said, ask him about being called Spiffy. So I'm friends with Snuffy who used to play with Shaka. So how did you get- Yeah. <laughs> so I know, tell Snuffy you... I said hello. I will. How did you get called Spiffy? Where, I mean, where did that come from? Okay, okay. Here's a story. <laughs> I was working at the Peppermint Lounge doing six sets a night and 
and I had to get these shoes that like Rod Stewart was wearing and what Joe Cocker was wearing. I was, and there was a place what did called, they look? What did they look like? The patchwork leather shoes uh, that they that they wore yes, back in the I day remember. when he was mm -hmm. with the faces and mm -hmm. and uh, um, so I went down to Granny Takes a Trip and that's that was a, a boutique on the east side mm -hmm. of, of Manhattan mm -hmm. and they imported all the clothes from England and I had to have that so <laughs> <laughs> so I waited like six weeks for these patchwork leather boots with three inch heels <laughs> and that came up to your up to your knee. Wow. And so I'm I'm crossing the Grand Concourse in our I'll never forget it, orange corduroy pants with these <laughs> boots tucked in. You know, in. by the way, that is exactly what is in fashion right now. That is really? exact. Yes, platform <laughs> shoes, bell-bottom pants, orange corduroy in fashion right now. So I'm crossing the street, and now because because I saw Niall and some friends, so he saw me with the with the boots and the orange. He says, yo, get a load of Spiffy there. <laughs> <laughs> and the name stuck. I so love that's, it. That's how the name uh, came about. Thanks for Goose, you know, Eddie, uh, for, um, you know, the, uh, the story. You know, <laughs> that's fantastic. Oh, so yeah, speaking Eddie's, of... Eddie's, yes, Eddie is an old, old friend of mine from, from Taft, and we're still great friends to this day. And he's a, he's a great guitarist and a good friend. Fantastic. Um, and speaking of spiffy dresser, so David Lee Roth, how did that, that, what, what, what was that about? That was great. And I was, tell you, um, you were Ted with Templeman, him at, at the height of his. Yeah. You know, stardom. I think they, they wanted to make a record and that record, uh, genuinely that was cut live. I mean, really? they, there's barely any overdubs on that stuff. I think obviously the vocals were overdubbed and the background vocals were overdubbed, but uh, we caught those tracks live at Power wow. Station in Studio A. And uh, I got a call from Ted Templeman's office and asked me if I was available. And it turns out that Tony Thompson had recommended me to Ted. So um, we went down, it was myself and Edgar Winter, um, Willie, the, the legendary Willie Weeks on bass, uh, John Robinson, a guy named Brian Mann on keys and uh, Sammy Figueroa on percussion. And we cut uh, Just a Gigolo um, and uh, uh, the Beach Boys tune, uh, California, California Girls. And we did another, uh, and there was another tune on there called Easy Street. Yes. Sure. And, and it was a, a five song EP. So it was, uh, but uh, man, I mean, David was cool. He was totally cool. He wasn't the onstage Van Halen persona. He was so grateful he was so thankful before we even played a note he said i wanted to thank all you guys for being available to play today you know i thought that was really kind of uh, wow. you know because his cool. reputation back in those days was total party boy and always fucked up and no that's not who you were playing with that day that's not what i counted that week um, mm -hmm. i think i worked up that session those sessions were i think were a day or two Mm -hmm. you know, because they were cut live. I mean, so wow. everybody was, you know, it was Studio A was an enormous studio mm -hmm. where you could really create, you can have a, a band in there and have isolation uh, so you can record properly. And so we cut those things live. And wow. um, and he was, he was, he was great. He was very easy to work with. And Ted was, uh, uh, you know, a, a joy to work with as well. It was a really a, a very, there was no, there was no star shit going on, uh, Vicky, none. 
That's really cool. And speaking of doing things live and in the moment, have you seen the documentary 123 McCartney, by the way? Uh, yeah, the thing on Hulu with, um, with, um, uh, Rick, Rick Rubin? Rick, yes. Oh, I, yeah. So I loved it. I love them putting up those tracks and how Amazing. good those things sound all these years later. Uh, and what a McCartney, bass player. I, I, I had no oh my idea. God. Oh, my God. Yeah. I met I met uh, John Lennon uh, <gasps> at, way back in the 70s. Oh, my and God. I, I was going to ask you about Yoko next. Wait a minute. Tell me about John. How'd you meet John? I met John at Record Plant. Um, hmm. In, uh, oof, in the early 70s, he was working with Elephant's Memory. And uh, Stan Bronstein was my band leader at my wedding. Really? I knew Stan. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah Stan was cool, man. Yeah. Oh, he's a really cool guy. And um, so I met him around that time. He came into the studio and he hung out with us. And actually, he, he let me come in the studio while he was, they were working on some sounds and stuff like that. So I was there uh, wow. and Yoko was there and John was there and they were working on some stuff and it was really cool. And I'll never forget John saying he really want, he was, sound is so important. It, you know, that's, that sounds like, you know, duh, you know, but really I think what he was talking about was uh, he was looking for a sound, a sound that was really um, uh, unique and fundamentally important to the piece of music that was being cut. And um, so uh, I always remember that, you know, if you're looking for sounds, it's gotta be a sound. Just because it sounds good, doesn't mean it's gonna sound right for the, for the piece of music. So mm. it was like really kind of like a different kind of dimension of, of pairing sounds with, with songs. I thought that was really cool. And then I met uh, Ringo at uh, Pinewood Studios where they shoot all the Bond movies and stuff. I was doing a special was doing a TV special uh, with Robert Palmer, and actually it was uh, Island Island Records' twenty uh, fifth anniversary, mm -hmm. and uh, we flew out there to do the TV show, and um, so actually it was the first time I met Eric Clapton. So um, a friend of ours, um, Alan Rogan, who just passed away last year, he was a great uh, guitar technician for the Who and for Clapton and for you know and for Jagger, and and I met him working on the Jagger album. So we, we, we remained friends uh, since then and he passed away. He was a really cool guy and missed. And, you know, so he said, he come in here, you know? So, um, it, you know, he introduced me to Eric and then Eric introduced me to, you know, Eric introduced me to Ringo. And, uh, and I, 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 you know, I said, oh man, just thank you. Thank you for your contribution to music. I'm an enormous fan. And, you know, and he was so complimentary and he was really just saying how much he dug the stuff that, you know, I was doing with Robert and everything. It was really kind of him to say that. And a very nice guy. It's really, really cool. And, but I've never met Paul. I'd love to meet Paul. Um, you know, uh, you know, not only is a great musician and composer, but there's, um, I'm a tenor in my voice and I would always gravitate towards Paul's notes in harmonies. And I think, uh, you know, listening to his voice really helped me to become a better singer. Wow. And uh, he was a big influence on me, Paul McCartney. So and I almost what? met George one time. But? Uh, you know what? I was at Power Station. I was at the, uh, uh, speaking to the receptionist about something. Mm -hmm. And I heard the door open. I didn't turn around. It was George Harrison. He walked right by. He was uh, working on Eric's album, uh, uh, Journeyman. Uh, mm -hmm. And... Um, and I had also played on a track that didn't make the record, but uh, it's somewhere in the YouTube ethos out there. 
And uh, that was a great experience recording with Eric. Wow. Wow. And how did you come to play with Yoko? I saw that on your on your list. Oh, yeah, credits. it was on the uh, the Star Piece album. Um, Bill Laswell called me up and say, you know, I'm doing some things down here. You know, at uh, we did that at Hit Factory mm -hmm. on uh, 48th Street. And uh, I went down and that was about well, weeks. I was down there for three, four days working on the record and stuff. And it was, it was cool. Yoko was very cool. She's very chill. Just came with Sean. Really? He was just a little kid. He was just running. He was a toddler running around the studio, you know, and uh, she was she was in there and uh, um, very economical with words, but very nice lady, you know, and uh, working with Bill is always a pleasure. Bill was just really kind of like, he was really one of those kind of like those producers who were just not the norm. He, he broke the norm in a lot of ways. And Bill's really, uh, yeah, I work with him on, with Ryuichi Sakamoto, who's another, you know, iconic music figure uh, for me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, won the Academy Award for uh, Last Emperor. You know, he, he scored the movie and he also uh, was one of the stars of the movie as well. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, I've worked with Bill in some really incredible uh, musical situations that are quite diverse. Such a, like, like, well, from Bootsy Collins to Ryuichi Sakamoto is like really a very interesting wide spectrum of, of music. And then uh, Sly and Robbie, which is kind of like a, like a reggae-ish kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I've worked with some things that are a bit bordering on experimental. And, you know, so it was always exciting working with him. I don't know if this is true or not, because I didn't read it, but I heard it. Did you play with Lou Reed? Oh, yeah. I played on his Mistrial album. And Lou is just a great guy. I oh mean, was, God! Yeah, it was really uh, um, I played this track called "The Original Rapper" or something like that. It's called, and it's on Mistrial, and um, it's so cool. Yeah, I remember being in Tokyo, and Lou was there at the same time, and I, I took a trip down to see the show and and say hello to him afterwards. Last time I saw him was on the Letterman on the Letterman set back around two thousand, and. Uh, you my know, and I was my sitting, husband I was, was the head monologue writer for Litterman in those days. Oh, really? Day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I did the show for about um, three weeks. Um, uh, Sid had uh, taken a leave of absence. Mm -hmm. And uh, Paul asked me to, to sit in with the band. And so that he said he asked me if I'd be available for a week. And that week turned out to be a three-week stint. And then... How fabulous. Then, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was so much fun. Will and those Anton guys. and Bruce and Al, all friends, all fabulous guys. Oh, yeah. man. Working with Will Lee. I mean, oh. I mean, Will Lee and Felicia and Paul, you know, and Anton. It's We've played on so many records and, and dates, you know, but uh, working with them on that show was really great. It was really great. And, and boy, Will Lee, I mean, those cats, they elevate every musical situation they walk into. You know, they're, they're that good. And I saw that you've done a lot of work with Ferroni also. I didn't know Ferroni from- Oh, Go Steve Ferroni. Oh my God. <laughs> Steve, we've played on a lot of stuff through the years. What an incredible drummer. I mean, uh, uh, what yeah. can you say about Ferroni? He's, he's like, he, he's so precise and he hits like a tank. And, but there's a precision and a swing. You know, it's, wow. You get spoiled working with musicians like that. And you Tal really Bergman, do. you've done a lot with Tal oh, Bergman. Oh, Tal played, played played on my album. 
Okay, we have to talk about your album now. Oh my God, Eddie, majestic. Oh. Your vocal. Are you oh, kidding thank you. me or what? This might be my favorite <laughs> new song. I'm going to be playing that in every rotation in my kitchen. Oh, Holy. thanks so much. I yeah, love it. kind of rocks it. in a good way. It was wow. Just a, oh, thank you. You know, and uh, you know, the song is, the song is kind of like almost. Uh, it's it throwback. It's to totally the... throwback. It, it, oh, it's. Thank you. It's the best of everything. It's, it's really phenomenal. I, I, I was Thank blown you. away. I, I kept listening to it over and over. Who played yeah, on you your know, album? It, who else played on? Oh, my buddy, who Carmine Rojas. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, Tal, uh, Charlie Drayton, Philippe Sace, great keyboardist, uh, John Mazzacco, um, Ramsey Embeck. Uh, let's see. Who am I, I think that's about it. I think oh, Jose so Rossi played us, percussion too. Tell us about the, the name. Um, and why Acosta? Uh, what? Uh, oh, uh, Acosta. Actually, it's pronounced, it's pronounced Acosia. And Acosia is a, a Ghanaian word. It's uh, in the, the dialect, uh, the Ghanaian dialect is called Twi. And Acosia means baby girl born on a Sunday. And that's my wife's middle name. Aww. So uh, so I just I named the, the album after her. Which is also a beautiful song on the album. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's kind of like my film music kind of vibe there. And uh, I really love uh, film music. I've been listening a lot to it. I'm very, I think uh, some of the writers out there, you know, and scores, um, Thomas Newman and, you know, uh, Lyle Workman is, a, is, a, is an old friend of mine who's really, really a brilliant, brilliant composer. And, and he's doing great stuff, you know, 40 year old virgin and super bad and things like that. He's really a monster. And is great that something guitarist. that you do aspire to do? Is I would love to. I would love to take that. I, you know, I've composed some uh, for movies with uh, my partners Bernard and Jeff Bova, and um, uh, we we were involved in a movie uh, back in the eighties called Burglar, and uh, with Whoopi Goldberg, mm -hmm. and um, and we wrote most of the music uh, for that movie, and it was fun. You know, it was really you know it's really different you've got these deadlines they want it yesterday you know and uh, so it really puts you through i'm good with that you know i'm, I'm good with like a that kind of a challenge where people need something really quickly do you still have that kind of playing discipline do you play every day uh yeah if i don't play every day i you know i get a little cross i get a little <laughs> really i need i need to i need to play even if it's just for a few minutes i need to have the guitar in my hands i think it's important you know, and it's it, you, you have to you have to keep your chops up. It's really an important thing to me still to this day, because you never stop learning. You never if you think you know it all, then you're done. You, you know, you forget about it. You need to really stay attuned to what's going on. There's some incredible young talent out there, you know, and uh, it, it keeps it keeps your you know, keeps you focused on, on what you need to do as, as a musician. So in this still pandemic world are you working on anything right now or is there something you hope to i'm be writing doing? well what i want to do is i want to finish that thing i was speaking to you about earlier um and because it's it's ostensibly it's done you know it's it's like right there i just it's been like 25 years since i really did anything to it so i think i want to kind of like readdress what's on there see if it's still valid as as mm -hmm. the music the music still rocks it doesn't sound dated because i have things that i've 
that I've done that are in the can that that sound uh, it's not it's it's not there. But um, this record that I that I did years ago, um, I think I was transitioning to to different types of songs and different types of sounds and vintage instruments, older guitars. Mm. It, it gave it a bit more of a complexity. It wasn't it wasn't drenched in the '80s or even in the '90s for that matter. Uh, it was it was drenched in kind of like it's just rock and, and it sounds good and the sounds are kind of transcend what decade or whatever. And uh, so uh, I was I was happy about that. And then um, I'm writing songs for my next record. I'm just wondering whether I should put a full conceptual album out again or whether I should just um, maybe do an EP or uh, uh, put out a couple of singles at a time. I'm still mulling that over, but it's going to be different. It's going to be different. Uh, and um, I'm just really trying to write the best songs that I possibly can, Vicky. You know, I, I really want to um, really push myself to, to, to write the best songs, not only musically, but also as far as content. I, I really that. want to, uh, I just wanted to, uh, I want to, you know, create a different picture out there, you know, and push myself most importantly, because that's, you know, I think that's, if there's anything that the COVID uh, thing has is, is done, it, it's, it's for certainly maybe a bit more introspective uh, uh, about life in general mm -hmm. and how each day is a gift mm -hmm. tomorrow is not guaranteed and uh, tell the people that you love, that you love them in the moment. You know, just don't say, oh, I'll call him up tomorrow or whatever. You know, it's that kind of, I think those are the, those are the, the realities that, that I, I, I find before me during these times. New, there's a new urgency to, uh, yeah. To, indeed, to indeed. So did you get to go out in support of your album that came out? Because it, like, it was like just before the pandemic. No, I didn't. I wanted to do a small tour, which never really developed. I'd really like to do these smaller tours I, I don't want to go out for like you know six weeks or whatever mm -hmm. i'd like to do something east coast maybe new york city boston uh you know dc philadelphia and then mm -hmm. something in the midwest and then west coast that's that's a bit of a vision of mine that i'd like to maybe once i do my next record i have enough i'll have enough music to really and do also an entire maybe show covid will be in the uh in the rear view. yeah that would be a good thing uh, oh boy you know from your lips to god's ears for sure. Is there, is there anybody, Eddie, that you haven't played with? I mean, it sounds like you've played with every hero that there is. Is there anybody that has eluded you to, to this day that might be somebody that you would still aspire to? It sounds like you've played with everybody, though. Yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, it's so interesting, Vicki. It's like when I think about my journey and the arc of my career and, you know, and, you know, uh, I wasn't really thinking about who I was playing with. I, I um, um, now I can I can look back, but I don't like to retrospect too much. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, I mean, I've got a lot of platinum albums on my wall all over the, the freaking place here. In my I can my, only uh, see a few space. behind you, but I'm sure yeah, there there's... are many more. Yes, you know, but I've only recently done that because um, I didn't want to be dwelling on that when I could be dwelling on something moving forward, mm. and so. To me, that's my priority. And it always has been that way. And it's only now that I'm kind of like, oh man, that was cool, you know, and like, it's a memory, you know? And, um, but I don't want it to define me moving forward. I want, I want to create new stuff. And uh, I, I, my mission is to put out content, you know? And uh, if it sells, it sells. If it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't. I'm, I'm not gonna, I, I just, I feel a need to put things out and share what I have with people that may like what I do. 
And, um, and it's so great in, in this day and age that, you know, I'm not dealing with an A&R person at a record label. I don't have to deal with that. I'll, I'll finance my own records and, and do them the way that I hear them in my head. And, uh, and collaborating with people that I love. You know, it's like, you know, there's nothing better being in studio with cats that you have a great friendship with. That is really something special, you know, and uh, so, yeah, that's So that's, how can that's people find your music? How can they find? You can find uh, uh, the album at iTunes, mm -hmm. you know, Acosia, uh, uh, Eddie Martinez. Um, let's see, a song companion for the Great Divide is, is, is the subtitle, but Acosia is, uh, is, um, is my wife's name. That's the name of the album, Eddie Martinez, Acosia. You can find is, it at, at Amazon is, as well. What what's the best place for people to buy it for you? Because I know Spotify not so good. iTunes, yes, Amazon. I mean, my gosh, it, it, well, that's a whole other issue there. With uh, you know, uh, I, I would imagine that iTunes and Amazon mm -hmm. will be the best place. Okay, I'm gonna put yeah. uh, I'm gonna put the information in the notes to the show. It has been awesome. so wonderful to to get to chat with you and to meet you. You are such a lovely guy. I mean, as soon as we exchanged the first email, just your heart is as beautiful as your music and Thank it's you. wonderful to meet you. And I just adore your playing and uh, thank, thank you, you so your, much. Your, it's great your... to meet a Bronx girl. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> Through and through. I mean, it's nothing like the Bronx. I love the Bronx. I'm partial. I mean, I, I, you know, the Bronx is to me, it doesn't get the love that it deserves, but it's really a great borough. It is. Well, so wonderful. And I, I wish all good things for you. I'm so excited to have found your, your solo album. It's, as I said, heavy rotation in the kitchen. It's going to be going on. <laughs> and I look forward to the next. I can't wait to hear the new music. Oh, thank you, Vicki. Look forward to meeting you in Absolutely. person. Yes, yes. Soon with Carmine, we'll, we'll work that out when this is all behind us. You bet. Take care. Stay healthy.